Hello, my oral surgery friends. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will hear surgeons discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. The goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon can improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon. Most of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The methods discussed are meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with research into the approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. All right, welcome to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. This is Dr. Grant Stuckey. Today I'm joined by Dr. Julie Chavez. She is an oral and maxillofacial surgeon practicing in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. I'm also joined by Chuck Turner. He is a certified personal trainer, also practicing in Minnesota. Thank you guys for being on the episode today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. This is great. I was wondering if you could give us just a brief history of your your training and then your current practice setup. Maybe we could start with Dr. Chavez. I did my, my residency in Minnesota here, Minneapolis, University of Minnesota, and I completed that in 2000. Prior to that, I, I went through, I went to dental school at University of Washington in Seattle. I had very little exposure to oral surgery in my dental school, and I didn't, I wasn't one of those people that knew they wanted to do oral surgery and was sitting in the front row and all that. And so then I went back to Denver. I grew up in uh, Colorado. I was just telling Dr. Stuckey, I grew up in uh, Golden outside of uh, Denver. So I went back to Denver and I did a GPR there. At, at that time, it was called uh, Denver General. So I think it's Denver Health and hospitals now or something. Anyway, so it was the county hospital there and I got interested in oral surgery, but still wasn't quite sure about the additional training. I went, practiced general dentistry for a couple years and then knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I went to do an internship at uh, New York Hospital, Cornell Medical Center, and then I finally landed in Minnesota. So I'm kind of a slow starter, circuitous route. And so, but finished in 2000, I practiced with a large group for about eight years and then started my own practice uh, in 2009. So, and pretty much solo now. My husband's also an oral surgeon and we've worked together. Uh, we had an associate for a short period of time, but yeah, pretty much solo and date. My husband helps out sometimes in OR, other things like that. Excellent. Thank you. And Chuck, can you give us your background a little bit? Uh, yeah. So this is, a, believe it or not, a second career for me. I uh, went to the University of Minnesota, studied kinesiology, but ended up going into finance. I did mortgages, uh, refinances, and, and home equity lines of credit, and construction of perm finance loans. Did that for about roughly 13 years. It was great money. Good. I learned a lot, but it was one of them things that I was really, really, really excited on Fridays and really, really, really not excited on Sundays to the point where I'd be sitting in the backyard with like six beers, like just dreading going to work. And I had to ask myself, is this, you know, is this something I can do for the next 25 years? And the answer to that was obviously no. So I, I met with a career counselor. Um, they put you through all these aptitude tests and they, they tell you that people that are like you in terms of your values, your uh, you know, your interest and, and, and the things that you hold important. Here's a list of those people and the jobs that, that they work because they report being happy. So it would make sense that if you did this, then, or if you found one of these jobs that you might, you might be happy as well. 
And so personal training was on there, but I had no idea you could make money doing personal training. And, you know, when you're working at a mortgage company, you know, you're used to making a certain amount of money and uh, we had a mortgage. So <laughs> my wife was on board to an extent. So we, we figured it out. And uh, I ended up, one of my homework assignments is I had to take all these professions and narrow it down to three. And then I had to go out and interview people and for personal training made the list, made the three. And so I had to interview someone who worked for a gym. And then I had to interview someone who had their own, their, their own gym. When I interviewed the woman who had her own gym, I, I was sold. I knew right then this, this is what, I, what I'm here to do. And so uh, I quit my job, went back to school. Here we are. I'm getting interviewed. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's terrific. Yeah. So I kind of came upon you guys through the Amos article that kind of discussed recently that was published, but I was reading it because it's something near and dear to my heart, which, you know, talked a lot about ergonomics and dentistry, oral, oral surgery, you know, the pain that can come, musculoskeletal issues that are very, very common. I know you guys have shared some statistics. I think maybe giving us a summary of, of your article and then maybe we could discuss some of the, any additional things you guys you know think would help our listeners as far as having a long career and not destroying your neck or your lower back. I think a good place to start is how we came up with the idea. I got to give Dr. Chavez the credit because, see, I was training individuals and I had uh, just started doing some group classes. And then I had started working with a couple of corporate accounts where I was going into these places and telling or trying to educate people on the dangers of putting their bodies in a position for an extended period of time. So one of the jobs was it was a manufacturing company, but this manufacturing company had manufacturers out on the floor, but they also had a bunch of engineers sitting at a desk and they're sitting in a closed hip position for eight hours a day, you know, five days a week, 52 weeks a year. And so I was there just trying to teach them, even if you didn't care anything about working out, you should know how to provide maintenance to your body, right? Because these are hard hours that we're putting on our bodies, sitting at a desk, reaching for a computer, you know, with our neck in this certain position. And there's a lot of damage that takes place over time, but people think when, they're, when they get injured, it was an actual incident. And so I was there educating them about that. And I would talk to Dr. Chavez about it because she was a or is a client of mine. And secretly, I was trying to get her to sign up. <laughs> but, she, <laughs> but she was thinking, well, I'll let her tell you what she was thinking. So it was it was mostly her idea. But I think that's a good place to start to see how this thing kind of came about. And uh, I'll let Dr. Chavez start it. Chuck and I met uh, at, at the gym that I belonged to at that at that time. And I was off work for maternity leave. So, I mean, this is, we're talking 10 years ago now. And I went back to work and, you know, as we all know, it just, it's, it's just a hard job, you know, it's a, and I just felt like, you know, after coming through the fog of infants and all that sort of thing, I, I was just really out of shape and I wanted to get back, you know, back to a fitness level because I've always loved sports and fitness and it's always been important to me, but I, I felt like for the first time in my life, I felt like I think I could hurt myself if I don't have somebody helping me that knows what they're doing because I feel like I'm, my fitness level is so low. So that's how I met Chuck. And, you know, we did our thing for, for quite a while. And that you uh, did some corporate work, you know, 
with, uh, you know, with uh, people that were in these repetitive, repetitive motion jobs and, and really needed, you know, really needed some guidance with uh, how to, with occupational health and how to, how to stay healthy in their, in their job. And I started thinking, well, how come, why don't we have anything like that? I mean, you go through umpteen years of training and I remember maybe I had an hour in dental school where they actually told you about how to, you know, hold your mirror and sit in the chair and, and only in um, in residency, if you happen to have a staff person that was kind of like, don't stand like that, you know, you're going to you're going to wreck your back, you know, or but there was never anything formal. So and as I know what you wanted to say, Chuck, I mean, as when I came to Chuck, I think my body obviously already had signs of this repetitive, repetitive injury and limitations. So give it back to you, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. What happened was, you know, she came in, I was working at a at, at this exclusive club in Minneapolis. So Dr. Chavez comes in there and she's, you know, I just had a couple of kids and they're at an age now where I'm ready to get back in shape. And so she's, you know, touching her her abdomen and like, yeah, I want to, you know, tone up and looking at her arms. And I'm like, okay. So I got her in the gym and uh, just ran her through just a couple of movements, you know, because as a personal trainer, I'm watching you as soon as you walk in the door. I want to see how you, how your gait is, how you sit down, how you pick up your purse. Just I'm watching everything. And so for whatever reason, I had her put her hands like I'm saying, okay, I need you to get your hands directly above your head like so. And when she did it, it was like this. And I looked at her and she was like, what? I'm like, well, you should be able to do <laughs> this, but you're here. And she could not get any any straighter than her arm or her arms like that. So I pointed that out to her and I'm like, okay, so you have some goals and now I have goals for you. So let's try to see if we can correct that. That was the first step or the first thing that happened to where me personally, I started noticing, you know, what to look for with my clients. Cause what I used to think is that, you know, if you train with me two hours a day or three hours a day, I used to think that was the most three hour, or I'm sorry, three hours a week, that that was the most important three hours of your life because I'm going to change you. I'm going to get you nice and strong and you need to be really engaged in this hour. But what I started realizing is that what was really important is that I educated my clients on what they were doing outside of the gym that was making them show up not ready to work out. You know, if we're going to swing a kettlebell and you walk in in the shape of the chair you just spent five hours sitting in, well, guess what? When you get your clothes on, I have to get you loose and get you upright. And then we can start swinging the kettlebell. Well, what does that do? Well, that's that's 20 to 30 minutes of a very expensive stretch session. And then we got like 30 minutes to, you know, kind of point you towards your goals. I started seeing a pattern and then started realizing that, you know, I started asking questions. What are you guys doing? The majority of my clients, they were sitting. In Dr. Chavez's case, she was standing, but she was standing, you know, with her spine kind of linked over. She's got one elbow up and, and one hand down and, and looking in someone's mouth operating. And what really drove this, this observation home is I started training her husband who had the same issue, like the same issue. <laughs> we're still waiting for our six pack abs because we're still working on our shoulder mobility. <laughs> 10 years later or eight years later. And so that, that kind of was like the first sign of, you know, what I do is important, but what you do and making you aware of what you do outside of work, I think is even more important because if there's things that I can have you doing on a regular basis, 
like one of the things that we do is called a pass through. And it's where you take a PVC pipe and you grab it like so with a wide grip with your arms straight. And then you rest that PVC pipe across your thighs. And then you take the PVC pipe and you keeping your arms straight, raise it above your head. And then you go back down behind your back and then you come back. Now what that does is, and I know this is a podcast, so people can't see, see us. So I'll do my best to explain this. When we're sitting at a desk, more often our shoulders are rolled forward because we're reaching for the, for the keyboard, right? Or our shoulders are forward because we are resting our elbows on a desk, right? Now, when I do that, my head goes down, but my eyes will find the horizon because I need to look at the board. Now, if I'm in this position for eight hours a day, five days a week, 52 weeks a year, my body will begin to form in this position, right? Because even though we're just talking about that position at work, where, when else do you find us in this position? You find us in this position when we eat, shoulders are forward. You find us in this position when we drive, shoulders are forward, right? We find ourselves sometimes when we go home and sit back and watch TV, shoulders are forward to the point where when we go to bed, we need a bunch of pillows to prop us back into this position because that's the position that we're most comfortable in, right? So if you're in that position all day long, 24 hours, and you come see me, okay, 23 hours, I got one hour to correct that. So what I do is I hand them a PVC pipe. And what that PVC pipe does is if I'm shoulders forward, I can't go above my head with arms straight and then behind my back with my shoulders forward, right? I have to open up my chest. And so if I can convince you to have a PVC pipe leaning up against the wall behind your desk and say, hey, every or after every procedure, or even if you have a sterile one, if you're in that procedure for more than an hour, and you should probably do a few pass-throughs. And then what that does for me is that when you show up to work out, you're not bent over, you know? And we don't have to spend so much time warming up because you're always warming up. Do you stand for your procedures? You know, I was trained to stand like most were. Five, six years into it, I started getting pretty bad lower back pain and I ended up getting a, a disc replacement in my lower back. And, and now I, I rotate. I sit and stand. I, I work on the right side for right-sided teeth. I go to the left and use my left hand for left-sided teeth. Basically, just constantly changing it up. And that has helped my posture, my back pain tremendously. Yeah. And did you have any training in your residency for ergonomics or... Zero. I mean, other than just a, a professor every now and then, you know, saying, hey, you're going to straighten your back or you're going to get hurt. You know, I mean, nothing. Position your really. chair. When you were talking, Chuck, you know, because when you said, Dave, my husband, you know, when he that we have the same problems, I would it would be interesting to see because I bet as a group of oral surgeons and, and maybe surgeons in general, we probably all have the same <laughs> the, the same restrictions and the same problems. And I was thinking about it the other day, too, that I think what we do is actually worse than general dentistry because, you know, you're trained in that indirect vision and you're using a mirror as the reflection and you, you're able to, you're supposed to, you know, keep, keep your posture. You're not doing direct vision, whereas everything we do has to be the direct vision. And so always contorting and 
and Chuck and I have had this conversation a lot of times because I think, and in that article, you know, kind of goes through it that I think there's just a, a portion of what we do. There's just no way around it. And, but I think Chuck's philosophy and what we've come to the conclusion is, is that maybe strengthening ourselves in certain ways can help us to weather the storm a little bit better and at least be aware of, I'm much more aware now, like when I'm in some crazy position and I'm like, either get this done as fast as you possibly can, you know, with, within reason or take a break and just don't stay contorted in that position for extended period of time. But it's really is amazing that, and I talked to my husband, it's kind of like we're a glorified and well-compensated construction worker because it's a very hard physical job and the toll that it takes is, is pretty profound. And in talking with a lot of colleagues and it looks like you're, I'd say at least 10 years younger than me, Grant, but you know, people in their forties and early fifties, I mean, all, everybody was saying have a neck issue, a back issue or shoulder, this, that. And it's, and as you, you mentioned that statistics are pretty dismal, you know, as far as a disability goes and it's um, yeah. So important. And, and, but that's how it, it dawned on me that Chuck was, you know, helping people in other industries and other professions in a um, corporate setting to, you know, help with these issues. And so I felt like, well, you know, that would be great if we had something that, that was like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what have you guys found is the most important thing that, you know, people in our profession can do, uh, I guess, one, to prevent Maybe we'll just start with that to prevent problems. <laughs> well, maybe how I think because I think as as Chuck and I have developed, I've kind of become more like the ergonomic person, and then Chuck is the fitness you know fitness expert. And so I really think that you know with some training and curriculum in training specific for oral surgery, you know on ergonomics and you know chair position, and there are some pretty basic things that we can all be doing as far as not tilting our spine, you know, off 30 degrees off the straight up and down off the vertical. And same thing with the neck, you know, not having it more than 30 degrees, which is hard a lot of times. And then the shoulders, I'm in the position I'm in for having that Minnesota retractor in my left hand for 20 years, shoulder up like that, and trying to keep my your elbows in, you know, sometimes I'm suturing and I got my elbows up here. I'm like, why, why are they up here? You know, bring them, bring them in. I think just awareness of, you know, kind of, planting that early. And then I think I would be way better off had I even had that awareness early on. And it's tough when you join a practice. And if you join a big group practice, there's kind of a, you know, an expectation to keep up, keep up the pace, you know, you're, you're really seeing a lot of a lot of patients and a lot of all of us are, and the repetitive repetitiveness of what we do. And the physicality and just in the muscles of our hands, forearms, shoulders. And that's with a study that we did. It's really neck, neck, back, shoulders where, you know, most people are experiencing the problem. So that being said, I think that I've asked Chuck to help with targeting of, and now after, you know, almost 10 years, I'm finally getting it. You have to strengthen the opposing muscle group that you're overusing. So maybe Chuck can talk about that. I would just say education. To start, I mean, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't know what what your beliefs are, but I believe in evolution, and I believe that human beings aren't aren't meant to stand, right? So just educating people on that, we're not standers and we're not sitters, and when we stand for extended periods of time, 
it allows our glutes to cut off, which makes our, our low backs have to take all, on all that, that weight, right? So teaching people how to stand, teaching them that we are not standers, teaching them that the, the best position at work, regardless of what you do, is the next position. So I, I'm, I'm really happy that you go back and forth from standing to sitting. And then, you know, maybe just explaining to people the math. I mean, you know, I keep saying that, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week, 52 weeks a year, just, I mean, th- these are hard miles that we are putting on our bodies. If you can just educate people. I mean, I, I like to think that people, if they have good information, they, be- they make better decisions about their life and their body. You know, if you like the standing thing, you ever, you ever go to a bar, you don't look like a bar guy, but do you, you ever go to a bar? <laughs> like like a drinking bar, you know, where people are drinking alcohol and you ever walk up to the bar and you see that little railing around the bottom of the bar. What's that there for? So your cup doesn't fall off. Around the bottom of the bar. Oh, so you put your feet on? Yeah. Like yeah. To... yeah, you put you put a foot up, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're you're more comfortable standing with one foot on because it is impossible to stand on one leg and not use your glute. But you can stand on both legs all day long and never engage your glutes, right? So people have been obsessed with human performance way before we even thought about it. And there's clues all over the place, right? So if you're going to stand, I mean, I don't know if you guys can do it because you probably need 10 toes on the ground with grip. You don't want to slip with, <laughs> with a heavy machine in somebody's mouth. But when you do stand for extended periods of time, it's a good idea to, to have one foot on a box and keep switching back and forth and then go to your sitting position. It's just kind of a life hack because, again, if you just stand, even if you are good with engaging your glutes, you stand with the intention of that, I bet in 20 minutes your glutes will be off. You'll forget to even engage them. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. I feel like most of us in dentistry – we just go, 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 you know, until we have a, a pretty big problem. And then we're like, oh, crap, you know, what, what's going on? Um, as opposed to, you know, when you're driving your car, you know, every nine months you need to do an oil change or six months or whatever it is. And having that good habit of routine every week, every day, you know, and that's what we're trying to do is raise some awareness most of our listeners are young, you know, dental students, oral surgery residents, and oral surgeons. But so many people, I mean, because when you're young, you feel like you're Superman, you're indestructible, you can bend your neck, you know, 20 hours a day, all day, every day, and see 30 surgeries in a day. But it's just so unfortunate, you know, when you're not taking care of yourself and you get hurt when you're young. And I think it's cumulative, you know, just over over time. So I think in the article in the Amos Today, we talked about it, but we I had done a survey. It kind of asked, you know, people about pain, what kind, you know, if they were they were having pain, you know, their age and how long they've been in practice, you know, those sorts of things. And and one of the things that came out was that if you were working, you know, in the it, seeing patients, so clinical work, you know, more than thirty five hours a week you are at higher risk for these musculoskeletal disorders. And, and we've got a paper that we, we just submitted it to uh, JOMS and I've got to now do all the revisions and things, but hopefully that, hopefully we'll get that published, but we'll, we'll, we'll uh, put that data out there too. Most people, especially when you're young, I mean, you're working way upwards of 
30, greater than 35 hours a week. And so I think, you know, just cumulative over time, but, but also, and I think your generation and the one behind you is, is much better at the work-life balance, but then also I think, you know, fueling it with that, you, you really can't expect that of your body, you know, over many years of time and, and uh, expect that you're going to get out of this, you know, injury free, you know, and what's really, what's the point of working hard for 30 years and retiring if you can't, if you're decrepit and you're in chronic pain or whatever, and you can't in, enjoy yourself, you know, it's a great profession and we're all fortunate and it's quite lucrative, but you know, the quality of life things that come with not being healthy is way outweighs those things. So I think those are some of the things that are important to me. One of the articles I read when Chuck and I were preparing for our, for our talk, it was uh, there and there is a lot, a lot of literature out there of other surgical specialties and dentistry too has quite, quite a lot of articles on these musculoskeletal disorders, very few or zero in, in oral surgery or oral maxillofacial. But one of the articles that was really great was it was uh, written by oncologists. The title of the articles was Do No Harm Except to Ourselves. And it had a photo of these surgeons working in the, in the OR and they were just contorted in this crazy position with their the spines kind of overlaid. And it was just so powerful. Like, you know, we're like you alluded to, Grant, we're all we all want to take care of people and it's always becomes kind of that we're putting everything before ourselves and it takes a toll. Are you guys both standing up right now? <laughs> I am. I'm getting stressed out. I feel like I need to stand or do something. Everybody's sitting up straight and standing. I thought, I thought Grant's uh, assistants were coming like, Dr. Stucky, we got, we have three patients waiting for you. No, we're good. <laughs> no, you know, and then the next question leads, leads to us talking about the, the guy who now has pain and, you know, in my case has had surgery. How do you keep practicing? How do you take care of yourself? you know, what do you do? I mean, cause I found myself in that situation of chronic lower back pain. I mean, and the oral surgeon mentality, probably even more so than the dental mentality is you just tough it out, right? You just, you keep going to work and you keep going until you can't. <laughs> That's right. We're not complainers. We take our beating like a man, you know, stuff like that. But you know, it, it shouldn't be the case where you have so much pain that you can't walk into work, you have to be able to say, hey, I need to take whatever a day off a week, I need to change my schedule, see fewer patients, you know, I need to go spend time with Chuck or my trainer and do my stretching. This is so important that we're able to kind of stop before we get so bad that we you know, or in the fetal position, crying in the bathroom during patients. It's just not some place we want to be. A couple things. You had mentioned the, the kind of the car analogy and how if you're driving around in your car and that light goes on, it's like instantly you call the dealership or you call your garage and you're scheduling an appointment. You're taking care of it right away, right? Um, with our bodies, we get these little aches and pains and we just ignore it, right? But we never do that with our car. And the equivalent would be like if you drove your car around until it blew up and, and go, well, you know, I think I should put some oil in it, right? No, no, you should pay attention to the, the check engine light and go just get it regularly serviced and you're going to be okay. And that's the thing with us. I mean, one of the things that I've found with working with clients um, is that 
pain. That's their indicator. They go with pain. But pain is a lagging indicator, meaning, again, if this is a, a, an assembly line and I put something in at the beginning, what comes out at the end is, is, is the pain, right? I should be fixing that up front so I don't have to deal with the pain. But in a situation where someone has already kind of done some damage and had surgery to repair it, you need to go to our website and you need to start checking out some of those exercises, right? Because not only do we have exercises on the website for neck and upper back and shoulders, which is the most common injuries for surgeons, but we also have, have just stuff for your, your hips and your, your calves and your feet because it's all connected, right? For if you are compromised, then the best thing to do is to shear up your body, get stronger, right? You, you got some issues with, uh, what was it, L, L what, with your spine? L4, 5, and 5, 1. Okay, so you need to reteach yourself how to hinge at your hip, meaning that when you lift, the only thing that the muscles on your back is doing is stabilizing the back, not helping it move, but just stabilizing it while your hips move. So you learn how to hinge again, and then you need to keep your glutes, your hamstrings, and even your core as strong as you can. Now, when I say core, everybody immediately, the image is spinal flexion. I'm going to go to the gym, do 200, you know, crunches. And it's like, well, we're really good at training strength for movement, but we're horrible at training strength for resistance of movement. And that's what you guys need. You're bent over. You need those muscles to resist movement of the spine while your arms do what they do. And you need it to do it for an extended period of time. Now, if the only time that you put your body to that test is in the middle of a procedure, yeah, you're going to go until you, you, you don't want that person dying. So you're going to go until it's done, right? But what if you pushed yourself like that at home, right? And then you went to work and then, and then bending over like that in somebody's mouth for an hour, that's easy. That's nothing compared to, you know, what Chuck made me do, right, Dr. Chavez? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting too. And the whole pandemic thing has been interesting because I've definitely changed some things um, because of that. And then, you know, with the things that Chuck and I talk about, think about, I mean, one of the things I changed was, you know, lengthening time in between seeing patients and having a little, little more time. And, you know, now I'm just like, well, I'm not, I'm not going back, you know, I'm not going back to, and why were we seeing, you know, so many people and you kind of get into that wheel of, well, I need more staff to, you know, be churning these people in and out. And for me personally, and I know, you know, everybody's different on this front, but that's one thing I've, I learned from the pandemic. And I felt like it was pretty unfortunate that it took a pandemic for me to understand that and see, but, and some of the, you know, the work that we've been doing and the surveys showing the data, you know, it, you know, it's definitely procedure the hours you spend doing these procedures is impactful. And it's, uh, I know we have to keep the lights on. We got to pay our staff. We get, you know, there's all these pressures that, that we have, but I think we could maybe, I'd rather run it this way and just take a little more time and not be running around crazy all day, which happens, you know, often enough anyway, but that's been uh, a good thing that came out of the pandemic for me, just kind of slowing down, slow down and not uh, put so much pressure on ourselves, which as surgeons, I think we've, we, we have always done that anyway. That's uh, a piece of just, I think, being kind to your, your body as a machine, because it's, we're asking it to do, do a hard job every day. 
Yep, I agree. I think it's there's so many factors that can influence our joints, muscles. There's just a plethora of things we could talk about for hours, but I think your schedule, probably your ergonomics, the way you hold yourself, movement and changing positions. You know, we could probably do a whole podcast or two just on diet and not eating things that cause inflammation in your joints. Or, or wearing the N95 and trying to stay hydrated. I mean, it's, you know, it's like we just needed one more thing to make it harder for us. But I was going to ask you, Grant, if you if you can share, did you have any pre-existing injuries? Because I feel like I hear the story of people that played sports or football or wrestling and they had some kind of neck or back issue that maybe predisposed them to even more issues with the profession. But do you think yours was all related to the occupation or did you have anything that was pre-existing? Well, I mean, nothing really other than a couple times, you know, I, I always played basketball in the morning and I've, a couple times I felt that shift in my spine and then I'd be bent over for a couple of days. And, and uh, I think that, who knows, maybe it threw my spine off a of whack a little bit and then put pressure on my discs. And then, you know, then all of a sudden I started doing triathlons and I started feeling really bad at lower back pain. Yeah, and that after a year of triathlons, my back was killing me, and that's when I got my first MRI and saw, you know, that my my discs were torn and flattened and in pretty bad shape. Before that, I had no clue. I I never had a car accident because a lot of people do a car accident or a, a big a big fall. Oh yes, you yeah. did. Doing triathlons <laughs> are, are car accidents, <laughs> right? Um. So, so you, you, I, I've done uh, some marathons and I've done some duathlons. I've never done any triathlons, but that is a sport. Okay. And I, and I've said this and I'll continue to say this, that your body will form into the position that you put it in the most. So as we age as human beings, we forget to twist our torsos, right? So our hips are always pointing in the same direction as our shoulders and every invention that is invented or created to make our lives easier, kind of reinforce it. So like in, in, in everybody's car, when you throw your car in reverse, there's a screen that fires up and you don't even have to turn your body around to back your car up. You just look down at that screen, right? When you are operating, you're not twisting. When you are on the bike, you're not twisting. And I'm, I assume you got some hours in on that bike. And when you are running, you're not twisting. And in some cases, depending on what your technique is, when you're swimming, you're probably not twisting. You're banking all these hours with your fitness without twisting. And then you're banking all these hours at work. And so I would just say that those are, they were just bad duty cycles. When you were a basketball player, did you stretch at all? Not much. Yeah. So your body is way more clever than you are. <laughs> when you're doing something to it that it does not like, it first tries to get you with a little bit of discomfort. If you don't listen to that, then it'll get you with stiffness. If you don't listen to that, then it will bring you to your knees with pain, right? And typically it's because of people not stretching or just bad duty cycles. And what I mean by that is that, and I'm going to have, you're, you're sitting down now, Grant, are your hands free? Okay, let me see you stand up. Can you stand up? Okay. And then let me see you sit down. 
Okay. Now, is the seat that you are sitting on, is that a standard seat height or are you on a stool? It's a standard dental chair height. Oh, so it's higher than like your kitchen table chair. Maybe a, an inch or two. Not a lot, but. Is your knees at a 90 degree bend? Pretty much. Okay. All right. So yeah. when you when you stood up, did you, you did you use your hands to push off your thighs and stand up? No. Normally? Yeah, yeah, normally I do. I put my okay. hands down there. Yeah. Now when you sit down, do you usually get to like a certain height and then just plop into the seat? <laughs> These I are mean, a bit complicated questions, Chuck. I haven't <laughs> thought about it. <laughs> well, and, and this is this is, you know, what we should be talking about. I mean, we do have to bring more awareness to our movement. You know, we, we do all this studying about surgery, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of doctors, I, I mean, I, I know anatomy. I mean, I know my anatomy more than, than they do. And they're, they're doctors. Like we need, right. to, we need to spend some time learning about our bodies, but what I was getting to with the sitting. So if I stand up and I lean forward, put my hands on my thighs and shift my weight forward to stand up, I do not use my glutes, Right. Then if I go to sit down and I get to about right here and then I just plop down, I do not use my glutes. I'm just using my quadricep. Now, when I don't use my glutes, I forget how to hinge at my back. Now, when I'm saying hinging, we're just looking at my hips here, right? Now, if hinging would be nothing above my hips move, nothing below my hips move, it's just the hip, right? But a lot of people, they do this. You see that? So they hinge in their back as opposed to hinging at their hips. Interesting. Right? And so two things. One, if we could have caught you right before you started doing triathlons, I think we could have saved you from that surgery. Two, since you've had the surgery, it will behoove you to get your glutes strong and stop using your hands when you stand up and always lower yourself in a soft landing. That's just a, a, a life hack that will start the process of reconnecting your neuromuscular or that, well, I shouldn't say reconnecting because it's connected, but your body won't use it because you haven't been using it. You've been using your quads. And then even with the bike, building up those quads, hammering down on those pedals, right? You're just building up the quads even more. So you become a quad dominant athlete like most of us walking around. Most of us aren't using our, our glutes. Most of us are using our quads. Now, if your quads are being used, they're being shortened, which means they pull down on the front of your pelvis. So then what happens to the back of your pelvis above it? We're changing lengths and tensions of muscles that hold that pelvis in place. So if you're all of a sudden, you're, or not all of a sudden, but over time, your pelvis starts to hang out in, like you're spilling water out of the front of it. Well, we've changed the length and tension of the hamstrings in the back because of it. And we've changed the length and tension of the rectors above it because of it. And then what we end up doing is we, when you sit, if you sit perfectly, you burn through one duty cycle. But if you sit the way that I was just describing, you could be burning through two or three duty cycles, which means your hips or your back isn't going to last you as long as somebody that's doing one duty cycle per movement, right? I would just argue that you just, you just 
you you went hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and and I think that the everything contributed to it. It was like the perfect. Yeah, because I feel like I I hear that story a lot with the injuries that and I think again it goes back to the surgeon mentality that we're pretty driven and I think a lot of people are athletes or athletic or they they're doing these triathlons or you know running they're kind of it's that personality and it's uh not always our our friend so but and then we're talking about the rotation Chuck and now I, it's all becoming clear my my bad golf score now I now I'm starting to get it there's not enough rotation you know, and I would be careful with that too, because, well, you know, because we're exercising, we think, oh, just if it has that title of exercise, then it's good, right? Well, yeah. not if it's if it's repetitive exercise, and most golfers don't practice swinging in the opposite direction. So we are overdeveloping muscles in one direction while neglecting the muscles in the opposite direction. Now that would be okay, I guess, if all we did was play golf, but it's not, right? We got to go to work. That's yeah. repetitive motion too, though. Yeah. Not if you switch hands. Like, oh, true. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was going to say that above all helped me. It was switching sides and leaning on my left and my right. Then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I felt so much looser and my, my muscles relaxed. It was just huge for me. And I've talked about this on our podcast many times. That, my very first podcast was about my back pain and how I switched to my left. And it's very scary for dentists to do that because you feel very awkward. You, you go slow, you know, it's your assistants. If they hand stuff to you, it's awkward for them. And so it's hard for some change, you know, change is hard. Right. But maybe if you got training in that from the beginning, you know, it wouldn't be like a foreign thing. It was like, this is what we do and this is what we should do to prevent these problems. So, you know, you may be onto something there. The ambidextrous people will be, they'll be top of the class, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it starts really small. Like, so we live in Minnesota or you're in Denver. So you have to shovel too. I mean, I'm talking, I mean, I even tell my clients, look, even when you're shoveling, make it a form of meditation. You do three scoops on this side and you do three scoops on that side, right? That's all I'm asking you to do is count to three and then switch. That's it, right? Then if you do it enough, because we do it enough here, then it becomes like background noise. You just kind of do it because I know the people that are listening to your podcast, when it comes to like changing their lifestyle or doing something proactive to prevent things, it's important, but I'm sure they're like, oh my God, they, they just talked about a lot of stuff. Like that's, it's just way too much. How can I fit that in? And you just start small, you know? shoveling, right? Brushing your teeth. You know, I mean, it, it's simple. Just start moving more in ways that you haven't moved or you're not accustomed to, to moving. Drink more water on a daily basis. It might be good if you take a multivitamin and get some sleep. I mean, those, those things right there will, could change, could move the needle for a lot of people way over. Just start there. And then after that, go to our website. <laughs> yeah. Uh www.sustainablesurgeon.com and then there's a link onto the YouTube videos and we're trying to upload as much material as we can and the, the day job's getting in the way a lot but we're trying. <laughs> awesome. Well, I really appreciate all you guys are doing. There's not many people out there who are focusing on this, 
but it is such a huge thing for us and can be such a big life problem if we're not being careful. Thank you for your time on this podcast. I'd love to talk to you again in the future. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having us. This was awesome. Yes, thank you guys. Have a good afternoon. Yep, you You too. too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. If you are an oral and maxillofacial surgeon and would like to be on this podcast, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com or text me at 720-441-6059. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed or feedback on a certain episode that has already aired, please call or email or text me. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.